0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's telling me
1: recording. It's oh yeah, I, I got it going. Me recording in progress. Hold on, let me turn on some kind of light over here because I'm so dark.
0: You do look like you're in a World War One okay. bunker. Okay, okay, there you are.
1: No, man, a tour bus is kind of like a World War One bunker. Oh, okay. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I'm just, I just didn't want to hold, you know, I didn't want to hold the, uh, the phone, so I'm propping it here on a bunk.
0: Got it. Okay. Let me do my intro real so quick. So I could just hang out. Ladies, gentlemen, people who don't give a fuck. I am Holiday Kirk with the New Metal Agenda. With me today, co-host Riviera. Thanks. Big time celebrity guests. We are excited to welcome to the program of Lions at the Gate and formerly of Il Nino, Christian Mikado.
1: Thank you guys for having me on, man.
0: Tell the people where you at. I, I see you're up to some rock star business.
1: I'm, uh, I'm on a tour bus on a bandwagon. I just have the phone propped up. Um, these are bunks. I'm by the bunks. I got the full prop up, so I don't have to hold it. I could just, like, put it there, and then I don't have to hold it at all. But we're in Flint, Michigan. We're on tour with Nita Strauss. Um, Flint, Michigan today. We were uh, in Ohio yesterday, Toronto, New York. I mean, we're is pretty much doing a full circle around the country. We started in Nashville. Went to the East Coast. We're going all the way to the West Coast and then ending in New Orleans.
0: And have you guys? Have you always like through your throughout your career? When was like the at the first time you actually got a tour bus?
1: Did um you have like those early,
0: those early those early van days?
1: I mean, we we did. We had done some shows early on in in a van in my older band, um, and then we wound up buying an RV uh, that wound up being helpful for like a tour or two. But the, the thing completely broke down all over the place. Wound up being stolen out of Albuquerque, where it was broken down and we left it there. So the RV got stolen. And then um, our first bus was just Roadrunner Records got so exhausting with us like missing a show because of our RV or being late, you know, that they were like, they opened up the touring budgets to us a little more. We were able to get buses on, uh, I think the Ozfest 2001 Ozfest was the first time we got a bus. And that was pretty cool.
0: It's kind of tough though. Do you have to, what kind of bus do you have to get for nine people? Was it nine? You guys had nine members.
1: Most most uh touring buses have 12 bunks in them, bandwagons have nine. Um, but we got every bunk full here. This one has eight because it's got one condo bunk, but um, we got every bunk full, you know, at our level. We're uh, we're out here just making fans and being realistic. You know, we're not like, oh, where is our big uh, rock star stuff? You know, we're we're out here playing music, making new fans. We're lucky to be out here, dude. And it's not an easy time in the music industry. So we're very blessed that we, we, we got some good friends and crew guys that, that are awesome and things so far are going good. You know, we have a very small team of people. You know, we're still an independent band, but we have, a you know, manager, a booking agent, they really believe in us. Um and you know our crew guys really believe in us. That that's really all you need.
0: So this being the new metal agenda, I guess I should start with the obvious question. Is lions at the gate a new metal band?
1: Um I I guess I mean nowadays it's called modern metal, just to let you know. (laughs) But (laughs) it is I guess yeah yeah I mean pretty much because it's it's an evolution from from that without a doubt. You know, um and maybe um, it's got a couple more electronic industrial things in it, perhaps. But you know, it's still an evolution from new metal, without a doubt. We could call Il- it modern metal. We could call it uh, alternative metal, but it, it it really is an evolution from new, new metal.
0: Was Il Nino a new metal band?
1: Um, definitely. I mean, I'm we very well fit into the genre. You know. That would have been a tough um, argument I think to that have. We, I think. I think that we were really, really, we really, really tried to do something that could be called something else, you know. But, um, but at the end of the day, yeah. you had a turntable I mean, had and percussionists. It had, yeah, yeah. It had distorted guitars, groovy beats, a turntable. Yes, exactly.
0: But I mean, I mean, you you the know? sound. I think the sound was was something interesting. Like when El Nino arrived, you kind of had that. Um, Sepultura had hit, Soulfly had hit, and I think with El Nino, it was a matter of taking those parts that had already been established through like Latin percussion and just really tightening all the bolts uh, for mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. that could that could impact a broader audience. Uh, do you? How did you come up? How did you like end up with that sound and refining that sound into into what it would become?
1: Um. Well, in my mind. I could only write really simple riffs early on in my career, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of talent playing guitar. I could play bass really, really, really good. And I was a bass player at first in the band. But when roles started changing, we didn't have vocalist, So I took on mainly just the songwriting and vocalist role. Um, but really the riffs are were, you know, it was like Sepultura, uh crossed with Incubus with some death tone squeeze. Right. That's and in then, my mean, mind. That's what I was doing. That's what I was doing in my mind. You know, those were the bands like, that really, really brought
0: me there. You know what? It's, it's almost like Soulfly Slipknot because Soulfly was like, it had, a, had more of like a closed down lineup. It was, I think it was just four guys ever. And then you guys expanded it into being that broader like percussion and turntables based. Uh, yeah, outfit. yeah,
1: definitely. It had a little bit more of the, uh, you know, I, during the, the mid nineties, there was a thing, uh, where, you know, you didn't have to have a big band, but the later years of new metal, it was almost like you wanted extra members in your band, you know, even bands like head PE who had DJ product, you know, other, other bands had things going on. Um, and in our minds, I think that's kind of like what we did, especially me. I mean, the the guy that did all the samples on that first album, album and the second album, Um, was like a really close personal friend of mine that I kind of grew up with in my early adulthood, late teenage years in Union City. So it was like so easy. You know, I was like, oh, okay, well, he already does that. And this is kind of what people are doing. So we're just going to get him in the band. Yeah.
0: So one thing that fascinates me is the economics of being a heavy band in the early 2000s. Il Nino signs with Roadrunner at like 2001. And I've heard that you guys got a pretty healthy advance to sign with
1: them. We did, yeah, we did. Um, so, so I think you were no a priority now for... off the top of my head, but it was you know maybe upwards a of quarter of a million dollars.
0: Right. So I think you guys were a priority for the label like right away. Uh, did they see that? Did, did you feel that that intent like that pressure?
1: Um, we actually didn't. Not not in the beginning. I think Roadrunner gave us a really good advance, signing advance, but they they were doing so for other acts and, and they were still playing like the throw the spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks kind of thing, because they gave us a, a really healthy advance. But when we had the album and, you know, and everything was ready, it didn't feel like they were overly interested. All it was was we were getting PR like all the other bands were. But somewhere along the line, we got radio. You know, you know, that was also some radio. Some radio, radio. from New York City, from K-Rock at New York City. And that's kind of like what I think opened up Roadrunners' eyes to, you know, the crossover element of what we were doing at the time. Okay. Um, and, you know, they probably realized, oh, okay, it's not just a metal band. They can have, you know, some things that might work at radio. Um, and I think that that's what opened up their eyes. But in the beginning, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to push you guys and all this money. And no, uh, it wasn't like that. It was more like, your album is coming out, you know, the same day that um, you know, a Chimera album, 36 Crazy Fist albums coming out, or within the same three months, and we only have a month to promote you guys because the next album is already lined up for the other day. It wasn't like we're gonna give you guys the world. Really, the thing that that exploded it was the song on radio, getting what comes around on radio, which was also kind of like a personal relationship um with Chris Booker from New York City K-Rock Radio. He was a personal friend of Um, you know, my girlfriend at the time, she was in radio and he was in radio and they came to shows and they liked the band, you know, so they were willing to kind of put their foot out for us a little bit. And then also internationally, it was just Machine had taken us on tour. You know, that's really all that did. Once we got one song on radio and Machine Head took us on tour in Europe, it was, you know, everything changed. Um, without those two things in the U.S., it was drowning pool that took us on tour. In Europe, it was Machine Head that took us on tour. Those tours and getting us on the radio is what kind of made the run and realize, oh, we have we might have something good that might sell. And did then guys- the album started selling 5,000 copies a week or something like that. And they were really happy about that. Then they started doing proper, solid promotion and you know, putting investment into it. Did you guys
0: uh, do showcases or was it Roadrunner all the way?
1: Uh, we did a showcase, but we did for Roadrunner all the way.
0: That was it. Was it a showcase
1: re- basically for Case Wessels. Uh um was there a case, Mike Gitter? I think some radio, Phil so might have been there. Um and the AR people really. You know, right. it was mostly AR people and, and, and radio people. I think what defines... But it was one one, it was one, it was one showcase. Okay. Um, you know, we played a local show. At some dive bar in New York City, Mike Gitter, uh, after having seen us at some snowcore show that we played with Sickleman All and Snapcase, he came out um, to a dive bar show in New York City, and he managed to, like, coax a couple of the label people to show up. And then maybe he won them over, you know, and then they probably went back to the label and said, hey, look, this band's good. Let's have a showcase and bring, you know, the shot Collins of the label to the
0: showpiece. And I heard that what really sold them was uh, Mark Rizzo's backpack and spin kicks. I don't know. (laughs) I think, but people always ask me about that. They're like, where did that come from? And now i got to ask you. at the time,
1: it could have been, at the time, it could have been also, we we might've had the baggies, pants,
0: and medals. Oh, really? Like that was, that was your thing? Like we got to just all the way down there.
1: The I first I couple of pictures, man, those pants were baggy that we were wearing. They were super baggy.
0: I think, you know what? And in 2001, sometimes that was enough to just be like, sign, sign here. Because that was like yeah, 15 yeah. years. I think what, I think what, what had happened was like, well, I, okay. So I, what I think is the, what is, the El Nino sound has always been defined for me is it's been like the rough, rugged intensity of Soulfly and Slipknot, but then pushed through like a, a Lincoln Park sort of filter of accessibility and like catchiness because you guys have these songs that have these really hard breakdowns, crazy drop riffs and stuff. But then you always drop in and just write this, wow, ah, this melodic chorus that hits and is just so satisfying. And I, and I still, I can still hear that songwriting. I listened to the Lions at the Gates album uh, today and was like, oh, he's still got it. You know, he, he's still, he's still got these choruses. So I think in fact, but you, I bro. do think revolution revolution is like, a very post-Lincoln Park sort of shoot-for-the-stars oh, shoot style new metal Yeah, album.
1: absolutely. I mean, in my mind, when I was writing for that album, Linkin Park wasn't really a thing yet. Um, you know, most of those songs were written like three, four years leading into a new Some of those riffs I had for years. Um, it's just that El Nino had formed as a hardcore band at first and I didn't see my place in it. Mm-hmm. um And then when some members changed, and I was given the opportunity to become a songwriter, I completely, you know, I, I I said, well, if I'm going to write songs, I'm going to write them like this. And what I really wanted to do, what I really, really was trying to do, was like you said, blend elements of Soulfly with bands like Quicksand, a little Tool, yeah, uh, Incubus, tones you know. So then, but where did your it was, it was it was the Roots album, the Sepultura Roots album, that really drew me into the whole, you know, groove element of it. Absolutely.
0: Where did your predilection then for pop songwriting come from? Because these songs, like, obviously, these songs have big choruses, you know? You're not just, like, knuckled down, um, screaming and yelling for three and a half minutes.
1: Yeah, I, I I grew up with a lot of Latino music, so naturally I'm I'm open-minded. You know, I didn't, like, grow up as a baby listening to metal. Right. <laughs> you know? Someday, like, I there didn't was either. other things my mom played yeah there ah. was other things my mom played when I was younger um, and I was lucky because she had really good musical taste so you know I, I mean when I was young you know I would hear things like the police and Led Zeppelin and, you know Michael Jackson even though I wasn't a huge Michael Jackson fan it was something that you hear and and understand And maybe that's all it was I didn't become a fan but I understood what it was. And later on in my life, uh, you know, I listen to all sorts of music now, but in my songwriting, that potentially, you know, came through just out of being a fan. You know, yeah, listening to those things a lot and writing. And, and a lot of times in my, in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm writing this, I'm writing this. But really, it's just you just you're just inspired by other things that you really love. And somehow it comes out regurgitating, you know.
0: So what I think is interesting is that you guys ha- got a foothold in the United Kingdom, right? Um, do you remember, because because What Comes Around does top 10 in the UK rock charts, which is actually like really impressive. Uh, not a lot of American bands have that kind of crossover. Did you guys hit Europe pretty hard?
1: We did. I mean, the Machine Head tour was pretty much life-changing for us internationally. Um, and it was us, Machine Head, and Skindred. I think it oh, yeah. was was also on that tour, and um, actually I'm mistaken, it was also a Machine Head Feet Factory tour in the US before we did the Yeager tour. So, I mean, in many ways, Machine Head helped break the
0: lead. Machine Head very big in the the United Kingdom. Massive. Yeah, you'd think they were from there.
1: Internationally, they are massive, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, easily four or 5,000 tickets a night.
0: It's a lot, with a lot of those bands, I don't think people know, but like Sepultura, Machine Head, Fear Factory, way bigger in Europe. Like they'll still their main stage festivals today. And and yeah. they're the but they're, and they're the kind of bands that have that like hardcore fan base that'll come out to every show and be there for the openers and stuff. So
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, metal is generally something that sticks with Europeans throughout their entire you know, life most of the time. You know, you you'll see a lot of older european metalheads whereas people in the u.s when they get older they don't they necessarily they they let go of things a lot more you know yeah and we also have a lot of things that are put in front of us you know every year is something new that you could like and you know so the trends change a little bit faster here in europe for sure
0: so revolution comes out september 18th 2001 something else which was postponed it was
1: postponed Really? September 11th. Yeah, it was was supposed supposed to come out that day. Oh, Yeah, a bunch of records got postponed that Tuesday. But it didn't get postponed. Came
0: out. It wouldn't have got postponed because of that, though.
1: No, they did postpone it because of they stopped. They didn't uh, do the release at the stores on September 11th. It was supposed to be that day. And Roadrunner held up like three albums that were supposed to be out on that day. And they put them out the following week.
0: Interesting. Do you remember feeling do, do you remember how that might have affected your, like, your career in the moment? Because it's like the popular narrative is that uh, 9-11 happens and, and all of America's like, that's it. No more metal music. No more heavy music.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, everyone it's all there.
0: Enya now. We, we just listen there. to Enya.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's it's weird the way uh, God and the universe works on things. I think we got lucky because our first single is Como comes around. And perhaps there is this element of revenge in that title and and maybe radio felt like okay well this song you know we're upset about what just happened so i think it's okay to let this go there were other bands that had songs on radio that got taken down because of the lyrical content mm-hmm. um i think machine head crashing around it's just the titles yeah Would i you... think machine head crashing around me got
0: oh god
1: from radio promotion
0: for supercharger
1: uh, yeah yeah and that was really a great fucking song you know but it, it, some songs got like taken off radio. I think with us we got lucky. We had like the right title, and but it was a, a concern. Everyone was concerned about it. Did you, know, you bump in our minds? Um, in our mind, and at least in my mind, I was like, "Oh, this is this is going to screw everything up." You know, there's no way albums are going to do good now. Well, I'll tell you what. There's going to be like some, you know, terrorism you, war.
0: Did you guys ever cross paths with the band Soil?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: So we had Tim King of Soil on the on the podcast and their album, their debut, their major label debut, Scars, came out on 9-11. And he was talking about how, like, he was on a plane during it. They thought they thought he was gone, but he he was like that screwed everything up
1: for us. And yeah, well, were- it's, it's possible their label just didn't hold up the releases on that day. Roadrunner did hold up the releases. And you're saying, that was, good, was you're saying that was a good. you're saying that was a good call.
0: Label. That was the right call.
1: I think so. Because, I mean, how do you even get any press for anything on the same day 9 11 happens? Well,
0: Tim King, Tim King was talking about how he went to Target to buy a copy of his album and he said the store was just empty. He just picks up a copy off of a shelf. He's like, one <laughs> copy, one copy of Scars, please.
1: So. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it but- was a scary moment, dude, to be honest, 9 11. And we had just come home from a tour and we were set to leave for the Machine Head European tour two weeks oh. after 9 11. And I still remember, you know, the discussions coming home from the tour. Um, And then once we were home and 9-11 happened, I remember having discussions. Everyone wanted to cancel the tour. Machine Head was still going to do it, but everybody in my band wanted to cancel the tour. And I remember, you know, having very strong discussions with the band and saying, look, we can't be weak. You know, if we pull off of a tour, if they're still doing it. And we pull off. We look weak. Like these people need music. The world needs music right
0: now. Yeah.
1: But. But I I, I think if I didn't come off as aggressive, at that time, easily we would have canceled the tour. We never went to Europe with Machine Without doubt.
0: So something that also so so Soil was a similar band, and that they were signed to J Records, and they were a huge priority for the label. Like a similar situation picked up from the airport and limos, all that rock star stuff. Um, their album sold a similar amount of copies to this one, like around topped out around 400,000. And for them, that was like a huge disappointment. They were expected to go like double platinum. That was the, that was the metric with, wow. with, with you guys. What was like the projection? What did you guys end up? How, how did you guys end up like finishing up like oh. that year?
1: Well, I remember before the record came out, it was already recorded. We were getting, we got the mixes back. And I remember, uh, you know, hanging out with my manager at the time. And he he asked, like, well, well, what do you think the record could do? You know, and in my mind, I set the expectations at 100,000 albums. And I told him, you know, I think if we do more than 100,000 albums, we're really lucky. That's what I said. Um, But I, I was just being realistic. You know, uh, that's yeah, that's a really a that's
0: a really realistic projection for 2001, because 2001's yeah. like peak record industry. Everyone's
1: like, oh, we're all going to be millionaires. We're going to sell yeah, so yeah. much. Yeah, that's a remarkably yeah. uh, level I mean, I know we're doing Yes, something. I, I, I knew we were doing something cool enough to where some people might like it, but I was like, but there's so many elements that go into like the band actually exploding radio, promotion, PR the relationships management has with other managers, the relationship the booking agent has with other booking agents, you know? Yeah. It's there's so many elements that go into it that um you know once you're in it and you realize it you, you have to become realist. I you're just lying to yourself. and the competition at the time it wasn't easy. You know? There was a lot of really really good bands coming.
0: Back. Yeah yeah I mean the the Roadrunner roster at that time was was packed. Like you also named yeah. you named Chimera and 36 Crazy Fist two other awesome bands that put out really good albums that year.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, the good news is, though, is I think that that realism means you guys were allowed to put out the next record and have it do even better. So Confession comes out uh, just two years later. You guys get a huge soundtrack placement. Uh, just walk me through what that stage of your career was like.
1: Um. By then, definitely, it was a lot of pressure put on us, you know. Uh, single, single, singles, you know, write singles, really single Because I mean, What Comes Around got on the radio pretty um, prominently. I think it was number one at Rock Radio for a couple of weeks. Um, so I think at that time there was this idea that we had to have another number one single, you know, um, which for, for a young creative mind could, could just throw you into like a shock. You don't even know what to do. You know, cause that's not, that's not how we wrote songs in the beginning. We, we weren't like, we're writing singles. We were like, we're blending melody. You know, it's, in, in our heads, you're not, you're not thinking I got to do this for some prize. You're thinking I'm doing this because creatively I like it. Yeah. You know? So it becomes a lot different when you start to wonder in your head, is my creative decision proper for this expectation? So that kind of fucked a lot of things up. We went into the studio with a producer who was really, really good. But you know, he really uh he had a different vision for the album. It was a much lighter album. Uh and Confession was actually turned down by Roadrunner when it was turned in by the producer. Really? You know, Roadrunner said and the whole time I was in the studio being like, guys, this is way too light for one of our albums. Like out of and I kept saying we're a metal band, you know? And it, a lot, a lot, but I think because we had such broad boundaries, um, certain people would want to talk different ways. And, you know, uh, even though I had all the creative control on the first album, on the second album, I kind of like was like, okay, well, you know, what do you guys want to kind of do maybe? And But then when Roadrunner turned down the album, I realized, um, well, that was done. I, I should have just, you know, I should have just, Fucking captain the boat as much as I could, and that's what we had to do. The label put us back in the studio, and it was basically just Dave and I. And they, I wrote a bunch of new songs, and I wrote them all on my own. And It was basically save the album. Okay, know? and that's where "Damn I Hate You." Um, damn. Um, the first, I think the the four. Heavier songs on the album. Five heavier songs on the album came from that second session, which what? basically was Fred Warner saying, "Please go in the studio. Here's Dan Corniff. They gave us an engineer at the time. Dan Cornif wasn't really like fully producing. He was a really amazing engineer who had an incredible knowledge of music and could guide you a little bit. But um, they said, you know, go into the studio and and and, and just do what you guys." and we're not going to put a producer in there with you guys and just you know the album's too light and we need you guys to just do what you do and we won't interject as much and we went in two weeks and had a bunch of newer songs and dan corniff did an amazing job blending them into a sequence and you know and Barbiero mixed the album after that and everything was fine but it definitely was, you know, it, the, the train could have easily fallen off the tracks at that moment. If we would have released the confession the way it was, I think it would have been huge. Mistake. But what's
0: impressive though is that you succeeded. Like in two thousand and three, yeah, yeah, I can I can think of like a hundred new metal bands that put out good, well sold debuts and then totally flopped on their second record. You guys actually topped your debut. You did top forty. Yeah, like- yeah. Yeah. Yeah comes up right short of gold. And so that's, I mean, that's really cool. That must've been really satisfying for you to know, like, okay, we did, Well, okay, we did it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, when when we saw that the label was interested in getting a song on the soundtrack and then we're gonna push the song to radio, we, you know, then then we thought, oh, okay, well, it's gonna, it might be okay. You know, everything might be okay. We got the sequence of the album the way we need it. And, um, and the label seems to be happy. You know, and in those moments like that, secondary albums are very important for the relationship between the band and the label. You know, I mean, obviously, with our relationship with the label, you know, ultimately the album following that, you know, it was completely falling apart. The relationship we had, they felt the business of the band was a complete disaster, and we didn't want to invest money into the band. One Nation Underground. Yeah, shortly after One Nation Underground is kind of like, you know, the falling out, I guess, uh, era between us and the label. But before then, we we worked together really, really well. I think they understood what we did. Um, And even even with Confession, when they pushed us towards a certain direction, when it came back and they realized it wasn't what it should have been, you know, not many labels go, oh, shit, we fucked up. We got to get you guys back in the studio. And just just okay. just do do whatever you want to do. Not many labels would
0: do, you know. So was this like a a bit of a well, okay, so after Confession does come out and does pretty well, can you can you talk a little bit about how you did get on the uh vs. versus Jason soundtrack and uh got a you got a huge It was look just for licensing. It was but just
1: then, licensing. But like they also you shot know, like the people.
0: the thematic music video and everything. Like it was a yeah, big
1: Yeah, pick. yeah, yeah. You were yeah, like a yeah, yeah. No, I mean there. they they opened up like the Universal Studios lot to us to film there. Um and it was that was really done through the director who was able to get like permission, you know, from the movie company Blue Nine Cinema at the time that allowed us to go into the lot and film at some of the locations where they were shooting. Mm-hmm. Um but but really the work that went into it was purely. Higher ups at Roadrunner Records working with higher ups at Moonlight Cinema, they gave them ten songs. Roadrunner uh, let them hear like ten songs, and they picked out
0: okay. Just effective, and that's just, that's, effective and savvy just, politics.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't like here's the song that should be on the on the soundtrack. It wasn't they they played them a bunch of bands, you know, from the label and just like like I said, I'm. Sometimes the way the universe and God winds things up, I have no idea. I just throw it up to like, okay, it happened. Thank you. You know,
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's really cool. And um, before we actually move on, you did a song in here with Mac, Max Illich of 40 Below Summer. I'd love 40 oh, Below Oh, yeah, Summer. that's my boy. Yeah, I think yeah, that that's uh, I
1: love
0: Invitation of the Dance is like a classic classic of the genre. So do you guys keep in touch? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, of course, man. He just texted me the other day a couple of days ago.
0: That's cool. How'd you guys meet?
1: Uh, the local scene. I remember seeing 40 Below Summer at a local bar in Hoboken, you know, and we were just coming up. And I remember going and seeing a couple of songs and being like, "Oh, this band is so good, you know? Because the the grooves that they had at the time were so appealing to me. I was a huge Kandiria fan, and they kind of had like this Kandiria pocket here and there, which was really, really fresh for new you
0: know yeah so
1: and go- uh, and we just came up in the scene you know playing shows locally together wsou there was a local radio station that was a college station that was really friendly to like regional acts and you know they were friendly to us to 40 below um a couple of other local bands disney fence was like a regional local band that was coming up at the time um there was another band uh, I got the name of the band that was from New York they were always friendly to Kanderia you know, I mean they really repped, that, that WSOU really wrapped the regional area yeah. for the scene to grow, if it wasn't for them and, and I mean and it started early with them because they were band, they, they were a station that also had to do with like pushing Anthrax when Anthrax was coming out Right, and even thrash metal in the 80s
0: now you did hint at this but I think we should get into it anyway now you say One Nation Underground era things were tough then?
1: yeah things were definitely tough I mean I think by the time One Nation Underground went around, all labels were kind of like looking at the roster and wondering well what's going to happen because sales of albums started to decline around then pretty considerably you know um and i mean these all labels looked at the relationships they had with their current rosters and said what is a troublesome relationship let them go what is a costly relationship let them go what is a non profitable relationship let it go and and with our case it was they they didn't like the way the band was being run like, you know they liked the music and they believed in what we did But really, the business of the band have turned into such a disaster that even the band members turned into a disaster. You know? Well, I wouldn't think that once you lose focus. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think that once you lose full creative focus in an artistic situation, you start really compromising things you shouldn't, you know? And with us, it happened all the time. I mean, we. We're late to places, PR people couldn't get in touch with us, Uh, you know, we'd go on tour and and our our manager's phone would be full of voicemails for two months and no one could get in touch with them. And it was like, and the label really grew angry about it. They weren't happy about it. And ultimately, you know, they just said, well, we're just going to part ways you guys go and do what you need to do.
0: Okay. Do you think the album holds up? I think it's a good album.
1: Oh yeah, I know the album totally holds up. Sure, um, you know it's just the uh, the inner You're definitely the angry. Industry.
0: If if you were having a rough time, it comes out. I think in the in the aggressiveness of the record, like it's not it's not a retread of it's not like Confession Part Two. You you definitely step up the the energy on that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was also different songwriting by then, by One Nation on the Ground. It was already Haru was writing and Jardel was writing more, you know, and it was more, more like a collaborative effort. Okay. You know, it wasn't so much like the first album was just, you know, I got to do whatever I wanted and you know, I just wrote melodies and wrote riffs. The second album was like we got pushed into a certain direction and then had to kind of save it. And the third album was just like, let's just work together. Okay. You know? And
0: do you have any like interesting stories or anything to relay from this this era? I mean, you guys were around.
1: Um, I have a lot of great memories from that time, for sure. I mean, we we did some cool tours off that album site that I thought were great. Um, but you know, also when you, when you're inside the uh, the machine and you see the gears grinding, it's also very stressful, you know. And after a couple Something. of albums what was that oh i just absolutely yeah once you're in in the machine and you see gears grinding and oil spilling you're like oh man no it wasn't supposed to turn into this yeah (laughs) you know it's a business um, now yeah 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 and i mean for me i don't know I, i was you know i wasn't raised smart about economics and things like that you know i was just a music guy you know i was just a musician um and that you know with the knowledge i have now i do things a little bit differently but then again it's the growing experience man You know, i wouldn't know what i know now if i hadn't gone through that
0: yeah and i mean still an amazing experience either way it, it's it primed Absolutely. you to have to have this like uh career in music now that you've sustained for your your entire life
1: absolutely and i mean definitely the coming back around with lions at the gate is like a huge huge eye-opening moment for me, you. Know? yeah is it um, does it does it
0: feel good to be more in control of your own project
1: uh absolutely it feels awesome yeah and absolutely.
0: how is the response and, i on? mean and we
1: we feel we we're just a lot more confident in everything we like you know but then again you have to take into consideration we were coming from a then we were really unhappy you know? right so being able to just step away and say, okay, well, let's leave that ever there and let's do something we are happy with, is really what we need in our lives. You know, it's just what we need. Okay. Um, I'm super grateful to be able to do it, man. To be honest, the reception has been amazing. I mean, anyone that knows of our old stuff, likes what we're doing, you know. Um, is it not for everyone? Sure, it's not for everyone, you know, but we're we're not out here expecting to win over everyone either. Um, we're very realistic in what we do. We know that we have a lot of work to do and there's, you know, we have to be out here and put the time in and really show people that we care about the relationship we want to have with the fans just as much as they care about whether or not to listen to us. So, you know, we're out here doing the thing and being realistic and really enjoying I'm, I'm more than ever in my life, uh, appreciative of the one-on-one moments that I get with some of the people that I meet every night.
0: So speaking of Lines at the Gate, your debut album, The Excuses We Cannot Make, does that have a release date yet? Do we know when that's coming out?
1: Yeah, uh, August 25th of this year.
0: August 25th. Awesome. Um, What kind of emotion, what kind of experiences went into this record?
1: Oh, man. Um, You know, the record was written and recorded about two and a half years ago. We've been holding on to it for a long time. Just being patient and saying, you know, we're not going to just put this out there and make people digest it all at once. But we'll go slowly, and here's a song every three, four months, you know. But the emotions that went into it are are things that we were all going through about three years ago, really. Which was, we were in the in the middle of, you know, having to learn new way to do things. Yeah, yeah. The album was recorded and written three years ago. Yeah. So it's a little bit in the past, but it's amazing to hear the songs now and see how still relevant they are three years later. Yeah. Um, And uh, a lot of the emotions that went into it were definitely uh, learning from regretful experiences in life. Um, Learning to be a lot more thankful to time and and choosing what it is to do with your time. Um, You know, I, I went through some pretty, uh, Pretty uh serious things, lost family members, you know, and regretted gratefully not being able to be there with them, having been on the road for many years and not being able to be there for them, but then on their death and holding them. So you know, so it, it was a lot of things that made me realize that um I have a lot to be thankful for.
0: Totally. And I think and, that and I think, the I think that the music is does isn't just like heavy. I mean It is heavy. It's heavy musically. It's heavy thematically, but it does have that sense of like optimism to it. Like it's a very fresh start for you, uh, again outside of the confines of your previous band.
1: Sure, sure. It's definitely a different. It's almost like a light at the end of the tunnel for me, you know, because it, in many aspects, it feels like, perhaps we're still in the tunnel, but now I can see the light better than before. Awesome. Um, And I think with the music, we we really wanted to. just do something that was good that we felt good about, you know. In the in our old band, there were so many walls and so many confines that we pretty much did to ourselves because when we came out, we came out being a particular style of thing. But you know, when we put it up record after record after record, and all these uh expectations of, you like know, it has to have a certain thing, it has to sound a certain thing, it has to live enough that I think by the time we started writing for Lions at the Gate, it was like, oh. We could write anything we want. You know, there isn't like these, it has to have percussion, it has to have flamenco, it has to have this, it has to have that. You yeah, know, It's got to have the Latino, bridge, it's got to have piloting. And it was like, let's just step away from all of it. Let's just write good songs. And that's kind of how it came to me. You know? Yeah, I think. Putting that... away all the expectations and the box built around everything we had done and like, just, all right, throw it on. And let's think about chord progressions and lyrics.
0: Yeah. I think that not having to stress over going platinum anymore has freed up uh, artists to be a little bit more comfortable in their creativity. Oh,
1: absolutely. And that's why you see a lot more uh, creative genres now like progressive metal having such a big push forward, you know, where, you you know, it might have been unheard of, taboo to have the metal acts that are progressive at the forefront of metal, but now it's kind of okay. Yeah. and people accept that I think that the metal fan in general is a smart thing you know yeah. we're not like a lot of people might think like oh metal metal heads are like uh, but it's like mm, I don't know modern metal fans are pretty smart and they know what they like Um, but they're also open-minded a lot more open-minded than they were 10 years ago at least from what I can remember I remember 10 years ago if you were a particular style of metalcore it was like oh well you know that's not my thing I don't like them well, but ten years now, ago,
0: ten years ago, you really weren't allowed to be new metal. I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly, true. exactly. So there was this preconceived notion of what metal is, where now it's like, you know, there's an open-mindedness to to wanting to hear bands that cross over, yeah, or that blend different things into metal, whatever it may mean, be, you know. Well, and I think really a, an understanding that like listening to other music or pulling in other influences doesn't make your love of your genre any less or your understanding of your genre any less sure of course it seems like that's was kind of the missing piece of the conversation this idea that like yeah. oh, if you listened and liked a pop song you were less of a metal fan and that seems yeah kind of yeah wrong. no you're absolutely right no you're absolutely right and i mean you know the darker bands have always had a song like Black Sabbath had changes, you know? I mean, the darker bands are always pulling from other things. It's just they might not be upfront and and, uh, visible about it. Yeah. Like I said, I I think we're all influenced by something um, and inspired by something. It's those regurgitated things that we think are coming out as these new creations. But really, it's just like, you're a music fan, but you know how to play an instrument, so you're like regurgitating all the things you like
0: yeah 100 percent um yes. just to uh do you, do you do you remember having to like deny the yeah, new metal was, stuff yeah. at all were you ever like oh well we were always kind of just doing our own thing
1: yeah yeah oh absolutely everyone oh, that had pressure is heavy yeah that pressure was heavy for a long time dude you know super heavy for a long time and it was like every press uh person wanted to put you on the spot to see if you would say, yes, you are new no metal. You know? But. Including this one. Sorry thing. about here's that. Here's interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing about the words new no metal. It's just words, you know? Hey, I disagree.
0: <laughs> it's not, not to
1: me. Not to me. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, it's just a description. Well, Some I think
0: I think in your case where you've been uh, had this label applied to you for 23 years, it is healthier for you to just be like, it's just words. Cause at the same time, you don't ever want to be caught in that sort of rapping and turntable yeah. style.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, by that time, I think it, in my mind, I wondered like, was it really great? What we did? You know, I was like, Oh my goodness. Like people are rebelling against it now. Like, were we really good? You know, because shit like that could, could creep into your head. I mean, and if and if it doesn't, then you're a narcissist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If you're it, not questioning yourself when so many people are rebelling against a certain thing, if you're not questioning I mean, was I wrong? Like, you know, what why, you know. If first you're of not, all, then you're
0: just, First of all, no, you were not wrong. Second of all, it is well, it is I not like,
1: realize that now, but in the moment. Good. The
0: moment. It is like an incredible It 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 really is this like incredible uh, sort of historical phenomenon where all these new metal bands suddenly felt like they had to apologize and like make amends for what they had done like like Lincoln Park embarks on the tour the press cycle
1: I know oh oh, oh, you know we 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 were never a
0: part of that all
1: those record scratches we would go back and delete them if we could. (laughs)
0: Like like, Lincoln Park has to embark on the press cycle for Minutes to Midnight, which came out two thousand and seven, and they were so like, "Oh, we don't like new metal anymore. We're we were never we're new it. metal. Dude, we were they always covered
1: the Who. They covered the Who. That's how much anti new metal in biscuit." way. I know, they were like, no, yeah, we yeah, need yeah. To yeah. Do a classic rock cover.
0: I know, I know, and and made out with Halle Berry in the video, which by the way is like gone. Like it's not on the. I don't know what happened there. Somebody paid money to which, get rid of that video.
1: Which rightfully so. I just want to make clear: it's a fucking awesome cover. Okay? It's. you think it's an awesome cover? I do. I do. But I was. I loved that song since I was a child. So it's. A, you know, it might be one of those things where, like, if you never heard the song, never understood it, and then heard it coming from the biscuit, you're probably going to be taken back by it. You know, it's like, oh, what's this? Uh, I'm not expecting this. But from the moment I heard the chord progression, I knew it was a cover of a Who song that I loved my entire life. So it didn't, it didn't matter to me. I was open-minded to it from the moment I heard
0: well I think that it's funny that um I mean well first of all right uh you had to like carry that weight around for for many many years I mean two thousand and five not very fertile soil for new metal bands have you noticed maybe recently though that you're it's kind of like hey it's okay to be new metal it's actually kind of cool
1: yeah I mean for many years I felt as uncool as you could feel <laughs> you know, like oh I guess I'm not cool anymore, but I totally accepted it. I was like, okay, well, I don't need to be the cool one. That's fine. You know? um, and I understand music is just what people like. You know, and what people like sometimes changes. Um, and you can't mope about it, you can't be upset about it. You gotta be grateful for the moment that you had. Um, but also, you know, everyone looked back and was like, No, no, we didn't do that. We're, you know, oh, we're alternative. We're, we're alternative. (laughs) Yeah.
0: We always share some alternative metal, more alternative metal, rap rock. Yeah. yeah. We were rap rock. Um, but, uh,
1: dude, rap metal, that didn't, there was a time where that term was really, no one could even say. I mean, new metal people would still mention it, but like rap metal, it was like, don't even say that word. I was, remember that. You know
0: what was rap metal like? Would Biohazard have been rap metal? I might be way off here. Um, I feel like there was a very there was only like a little bit of time technically there. It's new
1: metal. Like, technically, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's new metal. There, was, there except, was only a little except bit. No, without the melody, then it could be fully rap metal.
0: Ah, uh, okay. So I like, would
1: consider Biohazard is is definitely not rap metal. Biohazard is urban hardcore. Do you remember we call it that?
0: Do you remember Reveille?
1: Of course. Yeah,
0: yeah. You say of course, but I don't think most yeah, yeah, people... Yeah, I remember
1: Reveille.
0: Reveille would have been... I think Reveille would have been rap metal because he did not do any yeah. singing.
1: Sure, sure, sure. That could have been rap metal. Um...
0: And then by the same token, you could say Rage Against the Machine would be rap metal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe more like rap rock because the Led Zeppelin thing is a little bit more prominent than, uh, you know, Crunchy Metallica-esque kind of lifts. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely
0: right. But I think I think new metal is obvious. This is gonna be the most obvious thing I say today. I think new metal is fucking awesome because it freed these heavy bands. It frees it freed these heavy bands from the shackles of having to keep it real and just say, like you can write choruses. Like you Mm -hmm. you know, you can try to actually go for the gold here. You don't have to like constrain yourselves to playing. Nightclubs, you could do theaters and arenas and stuff, and and I think that that's it what... was
1: it was without a doubt one of the most creative times in metal. Yeah, you know? the new metal movement was without a doubt. No matter what everybody says, no matter whether you think some bands were sloppy and some were tight, it doesn't matter. It was like the most creative time in metal. Bands didn't want to sound like each other too much. Sure, there were like the corn copycats that came out where like they directly were trying to sound like certain bands, but for the most part musicians kind of wanted to do their own thing you know yeah they wanted to just be influenced by something cool and um get creative because they were allowed to you know that's yeah. really what it came down to and you know no metal had come out of like grunge and grunge was confined by what it had to be you know and before that it was you know thrash metal or 80s metal and that was confined by what it had to be so when you know, I think new metal was a revolution of like, screw you, we're not going to follow the rules. We blend our music, we blend our metal with whatever style we want.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You and out think- of that came a, a, a genre that I think should have been a little bit more verbally pronounced, which culture metal. You know, to me, bands like Skindred, System of the Down, even Rammstein, my old I, band, I, I, I see where all you're all going with that metal i see where you're going with
0: that um i refuse because, like because
1: wood. i consider bloody word a culture metal band.
0: i think that's a cool term actually i refuse to acknowledge it because i still need everything to stay new metal but i i see but, uh, where you're uh, coming uh, from but it is but what i'm from. saying
1: is like you know it's the the, the, the greatest thing about new metal is that it encompasses true and it was okay to you know as long as you had to have to of guitars. That's the one thing you can't, you know, you want to hear a new metal album without distorting guitars. That's for sure. You know, and the groove is got to be undeniable.
0: Tell you uh, what, let me, not, why know? don't you start calling, um, Hollywood and Sycamore a new metal album? Let's see how that goes. Let's start oh, you calling your
1: like, Don't think that I'm crazy. Don't be I like, think... oh, Christian has lost his goddamn mind. <laughs> I
0: think you should just give <laughs> it a shot and see if people <laughs> are like, yeah, 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 yeah totally. Totally. You just go back and overdub like a little turntable here and there. It's fine. It's fine. Um, my
1: favorite my favorite new metal band has always been The Exploited. It's just like, yeah. start calling anyone new
0: Oh, no. Oh, you're being, you're joking. Okay, I was about to I'm look joking. them up because I was like, I was like, I've never <laughs> even really heard not. of them. I've never even heard of them. I'm not Ooh. a
1: good comedian. Okay? You were, just, yeah, yeah, you were so ready.
0: Oh, my God. Who, who actually is your favorite new metal band?
1: <laughs> um... I, I mean, uh, do we? Can, I mean, are we allowed to consider the Deftones new metal? No. But yes. No, they, say, will, like that.
0: they will never beat the new metal allegations. They, 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 they have okay, no good, choice.
1: Good, good. Okay. Yeah. Good. No, I mean, I, I really like the Deftones. You know? um, I followed the Deftones since the little black <laughs> demo of the single that they have put out on oh, cool. Adrenaline. It was a tape, and they were passing it out at shows. Do you still have um, that around? Because tones, I like Cold a lot. Like Oh I, I love, Cold. love
0: Cold. I love Cold. I just talked to them at uh, um, the Sick New World Festival.
1: Yeah, I love them a lot. And, and obviously, I mean I don't know if you would consider like Sepultor Roots new metal, but you know, that album was life changing. Um I thought Three Dollar Bill was an awesome album. Yeah, love that one. Um, fuck, I mean I thought the first Korn album was awesome. You know? all awesome um but they, i don't know it's tough probably the death tolls that's the one i find myself listening to a little bit more prominently than the others maybe, maybe still because have, of the change still and have, things, and they blend a little more so maybe that's why
0: they also had a really strong sense of melody like quick like i think absolutely, metal, absolutely. new metal was sort of like when you think of the first corn record and three dollar bill you and cold chamber you do not think of melody it's, it's not the first yeah. thing that comes to mind. But when you think of Around the Fur, and even on some of Adrenaline, a, lot, a bit of Adrenaline, that's like, the, they, they, he was like singing, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The Tones definitely brought Melody into the phone fully. Jonathan Davis did, you know? For um, sure, for
0: sure, though. I don't want to but discount that. I think the
1: Dovetones, it was more like a, it was more like a, um, a very, uh, emotional Melody, perhaps. Yes. You know? it yeah. Ca- it, Emoted a little bit more, perhaps, but there was a lot of great bands at that time. You know, a lot of great bands, like El Nino. Sure, yeah,
0: that's right. Absolutely. Claim it, claim your crown. Pick it up, pick up that crown, man. You're a part of it. You're a part of this legacy.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, man.
0: So as as we wind this down, Riv, do you have any questions? Anything you wanted to touch on?
1: Oh, no, that's okay. I'm having a great time listening to you too. um my host in training. Sorry. <laughs> was drowning pool new metal? Let's get into some but really. Yeah, weird stuff. they were new metal. new metal. That's okay, not okay, a question okay. at
0: all. It's not a question at all. Okay. Okay. When we
1: talk to them, Chevelle that... was Chevelle new metal? That's kind of tricky, huh? That's the blurred line between new metal and alternative. Cut. People, people like try to catch me. It was when a little like... bit more Nirvana. I think
0: people try to catch me. They're like, they're like, what about Filter? Filter new metal? And I'm like, kinda. <laughs> Kind of not really. Wait, filter, filter, have- and Chevelle, say and it. Uh, were you about to say? I it? really
1: take like a performance studies approach to this of like you know can be viewed through the lens of new metal, and that, that to me covers the base. Both bands
0: have yeah. new metal songs, and I mean, Filter were on Family Values tours so they're kind of fucked, but. I, I struggle to just call both bands like straight up because it's like you do have to be respectful of the bands. Like what people ask me a lot is like, do you think Rage Against the Machine is new metal? I'm like, no, absolutely not. No, 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 definitely not. You you, you do yeah. have to draw lines. Like it, it's fun to talk about what yeah. is, but sometimes, but if, in order for that to matter, you have to be ready to be like, no, 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 <laughs> these are not new metal. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. There's definitely. Um, certain things that have to be done. for something to be considered. New metal, you know, the groove is one of the things, definitely for sure. You know, it's got to have some type of like urban kind of rhythm that feels really, really good. Um, because you know, fast things weren't really tolerated during the new metal era. You know, nobody played thrash beats and things like that. You know what? I think what defines a lot. If you're playing good grooves, if you're playing good grooves, you got airy guitar stuff over your rhythms. And you're using a lot of open strings yeah. on your riffing, which a lot of the more newer genti bands are doing now also, you know, I think you're walking right down that new metal path. Right I think time. you need and to. And I be see, able... I see where like Chevelle didn't do like that open string thing too much. and Their grooves were a little bit more alternative grooves. So I know what you mean where the lines are, where you could blur the lines and where you kind of can't blur the lines.
0: I think it helps to have really accessible, uh, playing as well like like i couldn't i don't think i could learn from for whom the bell tolls in a day but i could probably learn a lot of new metal songs in a day i've done it (laughs) that like they're pretty easy one finger i know oh five six five three and then of course when the breakdown hits oh one oh one no one no one three 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 three, oh one oh one oh one and that's the that's the best i don't think you need any more than that you don't need any more than that
1: even like great Um, even like great riffs like um, machine head riffs are still based off of like really really great 01,
0: yeah, like 10 ton hammer.
1: You don't need, yeah, yeah. whatever,
0: whatever chords are used on that song, you don't need more than that. You can't get heavier than that. You're fine, you're fine, yeah. And I think that, I think that comes from alternative, I think that comes from like Helmet because there were all these like really complicated metal bands writing complicated riffs, and then Helmet comes along and they're just like and it's like wow like the everyone's can't believe how how hard it goes and i think it's because yeah. um, the way new metal groove works is it gets out of the drummer's way right like the drummer is the one that's actually setting the groove so if you're doing too much on the guitar you're just fucking it up
1: you know what's um what's really interesting is uh definitely it comes down a lot to me i i think that it definitely has to have a certain groove element for sure, to be considered new metal. But um I'm trying to think of what other bands kind of were, now that you mentioned Helmet, because Helmet really was like the end the the, the grungy anti-grunge band that Metalheads liked, you know, where it was like where well, they're close to a little bit of grunge, but they're a lot more metallic. And I think yeah. Paige Hamilton was just very smart in what he did, you know? Yeah, very ambitious. He was very he was very efficient. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And even when you listen to him, "In the Meantime" that album, there's so many good songs on it. And even though it had melody, it was like very particular melody. It was obscure and dark. So he's very, very. I loved that band when they first came out for sure.
0: Do You know, they signed for um, two million.
1: Oh yeah, they want to talk. Ed-
0: you want to talk pressure? You want to talk pressure?
1: And look at the album they made. It's not like this huge chorus. It's just like what they did. That's what. That, that's what I think is music is supposed to be. You know, truly honest. You know, once you start getting pushed in different directions, and and it no longer feels good in the heart. You know. You know what? Though you, I, I, think what call it it, job, I think a job.
0: I really think some pressure is important. Because I do think that a lot of again, like the other thing that I would say makes new metal very special is you guys were writing like pop songs. Like you, you had all that groove, you had all that heaviness, you had a lot of screaming. But at the end of the day, like it was important to write a big chorus that anybody could sing along with. And I think that when there was a real commercial incentive to do that, that's when it was at its strongest. When when you had rock bands being like, we could be millionaires, you know? Like we, if we write the right song, everything could change.
1: Yeah. I mean, for sure, it's like a nice um, prize that you could get, you know, but almost all musicians, they're not even thinking about that, you know? Really? Almost all musicians are just thinking about like, let me do something I like, you know? They're, that's really, and it's selfish sometimes, but without that musicianship selfishness, you don't get like the really unique bands like system of a down or are not gonna follow the norm or you know I don't know skindred who are not gonna follow the norm or even Stein, you know who I mean they should have spoken English on their albums if they really wanted to make it but they didn't you know
0: and they still made it.
1: Yeah and and now they're like a standout act that only they do what they do. Right. You know which is pretty amazing if you think about it.
0: So while we wind this down, I do want our guest, Christian Mercado, to let the people know where they can find you, what you're up to, what's coming.
1: Um, So I'm in a new band called Lions at the Gate. I'm no longer in the old band. A lot of people still think I'm in the old band, but uh, I'm in a new band called Lions at the Gate. We have an album coming out in August, August 25th. It's called The Excuses We Cannot Make. Anyone can pre-save it right now. Um, All you got to do is just type Lions at the Gate into Google.
0: You're gonna find us. Yeah. Fuck the old band. <laughs> you know, no, I, uh, I don't know. I'm not gonna I make wish them
1: one I, I I yeah, I wish them health and happiness. That's all I means.
0: Christian Micado, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast and thank you to contributing. Thank you for contributing to the legacy of this incredible genre and, and continuing it onwards into the future.
1: No man, thank you for you know having a page like this and truly, truly you know, uh, putting on the pedestal what was done, you know, back then. I and mean, A lot of bands were really, really bold and creative and um, didn't follow the rules. I and mean, I think that's what makes music cool. I and mean, you don't necessarily have to follow the rules, but like you said, there's also the incentive that you could do something great that anyone can love, you know? I think that's really, you pretty much called it out by just stating it like that. Um, so thank you for having a cool show that actually, you know, in retrospect, looks back at some of the cool shit that was done back
0: then. Hell yeah. This has been Holiday Kirk with the New Metal Agenda. Just reminding you to be always supporting and platforming the young new bands that are making this shit happen, like Lions at the Gate. And to always be listening to New Metal and tell everyone you
1: know about it. Peace out. Have a great evening.